this morning as we dive into the, the Word of God together, I just want to invite you to just bow your heads with me where you're at, and just to ask that Jesus would speak to you this morning, that, that He would reveal a more clear picture of who He is and who He wants to be for you in your life. Just go ahead and have a silent time of talking to your Father in Heaven. Thank you for inviting us to be still and to know that you are God. God, I just want to ask this morning that we would really come to know you. Knowing you is life eternal. And I pray this morning that we would know you a little bit more deeply and that we would be inspired to know you a little bit more personally. Father, take over this morning. May Jesus be lifted up, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. I was in high school and some of my friends said, hey, do you want to go to this Christian concert? Now there was a Christian singer and she was uh, a popular singer of the time and it was going to be right there in Fresno. I went to Fresno Avenue Academy and they said, hey, yeah, let's get tickets. Let's, let's sign up ahead and we're going to go to this Christian concert. So I remember that we were there and we're in the midst of this crowd of thousands of people and, and she's singing her songs and at one point she's talking and, and at another point in the concert I distinctly remember, it, it's ingrained on my mind that she looked out into those thousands of people and she pointed right at me and she said, I love you. Isn't that amazing? I mean, out of all of those thousands of people, she saw me in the midst of that crowd of, of all of this vast crowd of people that were, that were singing, uh, listening to her sing. The thing is, when I got in the car afterwards and I'm riding back with my other friends, they're like, man, did you see that? She pointed to me and she said, I love you. It's like, no way. No way. She said that to me. She was looking straight at me. And we had an argument that ensued. Our little 16-year-old brains were just fascinated with this uh, female singer. Uh, pretty sad story overall, really. But there's something about being seen and wanting to be seen that really is at the core of who we are. And we'll look a little bit more at this is how psychiatrists and psychologists notice that the importance of a human being receiving attention, being seen, being heard. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. We've been looking at the story of Abraham. And we've seen how Abraham has made some really good choices to believe in the promises that were given to him by God. And God looked at that and He said, that is righteousness. And we've seen some other times where Abraham made some not so good choices. Like when he said, let's go down to Egypt to escape this famine. And God didn't call him there. And he goes down to Egypt and, and once he's there, he says, oh, Sarai, how about you call me your brother? Because remember, we are half siblings. And he tries to figure out a way to save himself. He'd been called out of Babylon, quite literally. He had moved away from the area where the Tower of Babel had been built. That tower that was built where people were trying to save themselves and to make a name for themselves. Uh, pride and, 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 and attempting your own salvation were represented by Babel. He'd been moved out of that and he tried to save himself in Egypt. Didn't work out so well. And we know that because we pick up the story once again in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 1. In Genesis chapter 16 and verse 1, it says, 
Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. The promise was you'll have a a multiplicity of children, that, that your seed will be multiplied like the stars in heaven. You won't be able to count them. But he's got no kids. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Now we looked at this a few weeks ago and we looked at just, just how this story begins to progress. But, but I want to focus in on a different character that's brought into the story here. We have this, this maidservant by the name of Hagar. What else does this verse tell us about her? She's a maidservant. Her name is Hagar. She's Egyptian. And the name Hagar, one of the possible meanings of the name Hagar is foreigner, alien. Here's the weird thing. Now, she's in Mesopotamia. Egypt was the most powerful nation of the day. She is Egyptian. So, I mean, this is like you are an American citizen. And the chances of you being sold into slavery in another country are kind of slim because you are a part of one of the most powerful nations on the planet. She is an Egyptian, and yet she become the maidservant of Sarai. And we believe that this possibly could be when Abraham went down to Egypt and he was there making those bad choices and Pharaoh gives a servant potentially to uh, Sarai. We don't know exactly, but that may be where it began. But here's the thing. What status of economic level would Hagar have been in Egypt in order to have become a servant. She would have had to have grown up, uh, even though she was in the most powerful of nations, she obviously, there was some sort of baggage, some sort of history, something wrong with her family upbringing, that things didn't work out quite right in her life, and she, her life ended up that she was a servant, or really a slave to Sarai. So we'll go through here quickly, just remembering what we saw before. Sarai says to Abram, Hey, I've got an idea. Let's help God out. God has stopped me from having kids. And so here's the deal. You go into Hagar and we'll help God out and we'll have kids that way. Good idea. Bad idea. Verse three and it's, uh, verse, it, it continues and says that Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. There's no mention of the voice of God that, that Abraham's been learning to walk with God. Instead, he's listening to this voice. And then it, And then we noticed uh, a few weeks ago that it was after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan that he, he stepped into this trap to seek to provide for the promises of God. He wasn't willing to keep on waiting. And we looked at Isaiah 40 about those that wait upon the Lord, the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. Well, that's where we stopped last time around. And verse 4 continues and it says this. So he went into to Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Now we know from studying the archaeological uh, evidence from this time period, looking at things like Hammurabi's code, which tells us the different laws that were involved. You could do this. You could take your maidservant in the ancient Near East and you could give her to your husband, and then technically their child would become your heir. And they would look at it as if that was your child. But notice what happens here in the story. 
You don't see any choice that Hagar has in the morning in in this matter. It's not, hey Hagar, do you mind helping us out in this? Will you become uh, the the spouse for Abraham? Hey Hagar, uh, is this what you want? There's no no asking Hagar. She's simply a tool. She's simply being used. She's being uh, she's being exploited, really, in order for Abraham and Sarai to get what they want. But things begin to change when uh, she recognizes that she's pregnant. And any time that we step out of God's promises for us, God's will for our lives, things become a mess. Have you noticed that before? That's why he gave us his commandments in the first place, because he doesn't want us to have to go through all the pain and the suffering. And things begin to go awry in Abram's household. And you see here that her mistress became despised in her eyes. She says, wow, well, if I'm able, let's, let's think about this. Who cares about if my child is supposed to be hers? I'm the one that's having the baby here. I'm not supposed to be the servant anymore. Really, I'm the one that's having a child. And here we're not told whether it's a boy or a girl. All we know is that she has conceived and that this leads her to have pride when it comes to Sarai, her mistress. Continue reading in verse 5. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. (laughs) It's kind of funny, really, when you're reading this story. She's like, hey, this was a really bad choice. I said to do it. Now you take care of this problem. Uh, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maiden to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. Now, for the very first time, Yahweh comes into the picture. Yahweh judge between you and me. Finally, she's, she's wanting God to help her out. Finally, she's realizing that this is a mess that, that only God can fix. And Abram, this is, this is the embarrassing, one of the most embarrassing part of Abram's story. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. Now we look at Abram as this strong man of faith, this guy who, who would stand up and, and take his, his son to sacrifice him to God if that's what he called for. And here we see him as a really, really weak man who's willing to let his wife direct him here and there and to doubt the promises of God and to then just say, okay, go ahead and, and mistreat her if that's what it takes. And then it, it says, and when Sarai dealt harshly with her. That, that word for harshly is the same word for when, when the Israelites are later in slavery in Egypt. And you remember how they cry out because of all of the mistreatment by the taskmasters there in Egypt. This is the same word for the affliction that they were going into in slavery. She's probably being beaten severely by Sarai. Put yourself in Hagar's shoes for just a second. She's been taken from her country as a slave. She's, she's entrusted to this. I mean, she's no longer in this, this country of power and wealth. And now she's a wandering in tents, but she's a servant, a slave to these people who live in tents in the wilderness. And now she is used and exploited to have a child. And she thinks, well, maybe this at least, finally I found value. I have a child. And, and at least this will make me somebody important. At least now I have an identity. And then she begins to get beaten 
and abused. And so she does what many of us do. When things go wrong in our life, when, when everything hits the wall, we run. We try to escape. We find whatever route we can to escape. And a lot of times it's not physically running. When we look at media, a lot of times media becomes a trap for us because we're trying to escape the pain in our lives. We're trying to escape the thoughts that we can't control. We're trying to escape the hurts from people in our lives. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. She doesn't know where she's going, but she begins to run. And the name Hagar is not an Egyptian name, uh, but it, it's, it's a, it has Semitic origins. And it likely, it either means foreigner or it means flight, one who flees. And so here she goes. She begins to flee. Now think about this. I have such a deeper appreciation, Lauren, for what you go through when you're pregnant. Uh, having seen my wife go through that, it's, it's an incredible thing. And, and we want to do everything possible to make it as easy as possible for a pregnant woman. But here she is. She's running from the only sort of security that she has because she's being abused. She's been exploited. She's running out into the wilderness and she's pregnant. You can't run very fast when you're pregnant. At least I haven't seen it. Um, What happens when everything goes wrong in your life? Here is a a, a woman. In fact, when we see her fleeing, and we'll later find out that she's fleeing towards Shur, which it's it's a name like Wall, and it it gives the idea of, of the border wall in Egypt, and we know that it was close to Egypt. She's actually running back towards her home country, which sold her into slavery. So I don't know what she thinks she's going to find there, but she's trying to run back to somewhere secure, trying to find something that she can hang on to for safety in her life. And as she's running out into the wilderness, she's running away from really Abraham and Abraham's God. Because, you know, back in this time, they looked at deities as regional. They looked at, at you know, you have your God and he's in this area, in this country, and you go to this place and you're under this God and this authority. And she's running back to Egypt. And some uh, theologians, as they read this, they believe that she's running away back potentially into Egyptian idolatry even. That's the direction she's headed. And all of this mess is because Abraham doubted the promises of God. He doubted the instructions of God. He doubted what God wanted to do in his life. And he tried to step in and do it himself. All of this mess is a result of sin. And what happens when our lives are a mess because of sin? What happens when we're hurting because of sin? What happens if the pain in my life is because of the bad choices that I've made? What if, what if I don't have the brain capacity that I think I need because of my usage of drugs in the past? What happens if I've made some bad choices in relationships and I've put myself in places that have led me to be hurt in my life? What happens when I've got pain that's deep inside and I'm trying to escape from that? I'll tell you what happens. Just like with Hagar, verse 7 says, Now the angel of the Lord. You just pause there. Now the angel of the Lord. You'll notice a few things about this. Theologians point out that 
First of all, there's a definite article, the angel. It's not talking about just any article. It's very specific that, that this is a special and specific angel. Second of all, we'll notice that the angel of the Lord, whenever it's used in the Bible, there are multiple times when it is used directly to correlate the, the angel to Yahweh himself. This happens uh, later on in Genesis. We'll see it in the, later in this chapter itself, but it happens with Abraham. It also happens in Judges. You remember Gideon when the angel of the Lord shows up to him. And then you even find in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen is, is sharing, when he talks about the angel, you, you also see the, the reference to God there. But finally, you notice that this angel speaks like God. And we'll find that uh, a little bit later here in this this chapter. These facts have led people throughout Christian history, from the early church fathers to the Reformation. Conservative scholars have usually said, you know what, this is the second person of the Godhead. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is before he comes as Jesus. This is Christ. Isn't that beautiful to think about? Because it says, now the angel of the Lord, what does it say next? found her she's an egyptian she's not part of the israelite story she's been abused she's been mistreated she herself may be running away from god and yet christ finds her and he finds you in the midst of the pain that you may experience in your life in the midst of 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 the grief that you may experience in your life he steps in and he finds you He found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And sometimes we think, well, if it's a spring, then she's in a good spot. But you remember what happens in a a vast wilderness at a spring. If you've ever seen videos sometimes about all the wild animals that come together at a spring, let alone all the different marauding people who might be in that area, they're all going to be coming around that area. Springs weren't necessarily a safe place just because there's water. She's in the middle of the wilderness, she's pregnant, and she's helpless. And she is vulnerable to more exploitation. But the angel of the Lord steps in and finds her. The angel of the Lord chases her down is what it sounds like. He's, he's going to find her. And look at verse 8. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from? And where are you going? Tell me your story. You know, there's a lot of power when you come in contact with somebody who's hurting. Say, what's going on in your life? To sit down and let them know that you genuinely care about them. There's a lot of power to that. It says, where, are you, where have you come from? And where are you going? Obviously, he knows because he starts off with Hagar, Sarai's maid. He knows where she's coming from. And she goes on to just basically tell him the same. She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. And notice that she doesn't go on to say, here's the plan for the future. She doesn't know where she's going. But the good news is, even if you don't know where you're headed, what your plan is, that there is a God who has a plan for you for a hope and a future. And he's in the business of stepping into your life Showing up in a way that reveals a whole different opportunity for your life. Verse 9 continues, And the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. 
This isn't what she wanted to hear. This doesn't sound like the best of opportunities. And sometimes when God shows us the way forward in our lives, it doesn't always seem like that makes the most sense. That's why Proverbs chapter 3 says, don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your paths. Trust in a loving Savior to guide you, to lead you. But He doesn't just leave her hanging there and just say, hey, go back and submit. But look at what He promises to her. Remember, this is an Egyptian maidservant. This is a nobody. And look at what He goes on to promise her in verse 10. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. How awesome is that? He steps into this nobody's life and he says, look, this all was a mistake. I didn't want this to happen in the first place, but here's the deal. I'm going to step into the mess of your life and I'm going to turn that mess into this beautiful thing where I'm going to multiply your descendants so that they won't even be able to be counted. I'm going to make you a somebody, Hagar. That's what Jesus steps in. He he steps in and tells her to go back, but he steps in with a promise of what he's going to do. when and And he goes on to say this in verse 11. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. Up to this point, she didn't know what she was bearing. And if she was bearing a daughter, it wouldn't have been that significant. But But now she finds out that she is bearing a son. This is super significant for her culture, for understanding that, that now she would have an heir. But then it goes on to say in verse 11, you shall call his name Ishmael. Now, this is the first time in the Bible that God steps in and there's an unborn child and that we're told that God says this is what the name of this child shall be. You know, sometimes people ask the question, you know, it's God reveals himself through Jesus and that's great, but, but what about all these people over here in China who have never heard the name of Jesus? And, and, and what about all of those in, in the 1040 window who, who never get the exposure to who Jesus is? Friends, the story of Hagar lets us know that God is revealing himself to them. He steps into the nobody's life. He steps into Hagar's life, to this Egyptian maidservant's life, and he reveals himself to her. And then he tells her, I am the God who's listening to you. You see what it says? You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord, that's his personal name, Yahweh, because Yahweh has heard your affliction. I, I'm listening to you. I'm hearing what you're going through. You may not even be trying to cry out to me, but I'm listening to you in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your heartache. I'm listening and I hear what you're going through. And it may not have felt like I was hearing you all along. When you were, when you were suffering under Sarai, when, when you were sold into slavery, you might not have thought that I was hearing you, but I've been listening to you all along and I have a plan for a hope and a future for your life. Because the Lord has heard your affliction. Later on, God shows up as the angel of Yahweh to Moses and he says to Moses that I have heard the affliction of my people in in Egypt. Same kind of story. God is in the business of hearing when you're crying out to him. 
You don't always recognize it right away, but he really does here. That's why there's power in prayer. And then verse 13. This is our key verse for today. Notice this. In fact, since it's getting a little bit uh, further in, just just read it with me, okay? You ready? Then she called... That's not everybody. You ready? Let's try this again. One, two, three. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. And she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Okay, this is beautiful. It really is. This is the only time in all of Scripture that you find a woman doing something like this. She, she, she says, this is what I'm going to name God. Do you have any personal names for God? Are you that close to God that you can say, you know, this is who God is to me. I am going to call Him this. She says, He is the God who sees. And then notice what she says. She says, have I also seen him who sees me? She says, here I am and I'm looking and I, I just realized that, that I'm not just talking to a messenger from heaven, but I'm talking to God himself and I am seeing God. And what I see when I see God is he's already looking at me. He's just gazing at me. The wording when it talks about seeing me, it, it's, it's to, to behold, to, to look longingly, to gaze after. He's, he's gazing after me. You know, the only way that I can really begin to picture this in my own life is, is what happens in my house on a daily basis. Now, I can't tell you, I, I've been looking at this story for several weeks and I've been trying to capture this moment and this doesn't do it justice. But there's something that happens in our house and it does something to my own heart, but I don't even want to talk about that right now. I just want to talk about what it's like when, when my little girls are there and they're playing in the living room and they're playing with their toys and all of a sudden they look up and they see that their daddy is looking at them. I don't know what happens in somebody's life when they are seen, but I know that even a nine-month-old, when she sees her daddy looking at her, when she sees her mommy looking at her and smiling at her, suddenly she lights up. And it happens time and time again. There's something powerful about knowing that you are seen. Not just physically seen, but that, that the the details of your life are cared about, that there's somebody there who loves you, that there's somebody there that's watching out for your life, that wants what's best for you. To know that just brings a smile to your face. In fact, psychologists, though, talk about this. There's a guy by the name of Dr. Bessel van der Kolk who wrote the book, The Body Keeps the Score. In this book, he's talking about people who have things like post-traumatic stress disorder. He's talking about, and I haven't read the book, uh, but I was directed to this in, in reading about, about uh, the, the power of being seen. It's the number one selling book on Amazon about psych, uh, psychiatric medicine. Uh, and it, it's basically talking about how your own body your mind specifically, is impacted through trauma and how that literally impacts your brain. But he says this, 
trauma almost invariably involves not being seen. One of the biggest things in trauma is to not be seen, to not be mirrored, and to not be taken into account. To be a nobody, to to feel like nobody cares, that there's nobody there for you, that there's nobody that's looking at your life with love and wanting to be there for you. It goes on to say the, the, the healing power is this. The critical issue is reciprocity. So he's talking about when he goes into schools and he finds kids that have been traumatically impacted early in life, be it through sexual abuse, be it through uh, their families being torn apart or, or violent things happening in their lives. The critical issue is reciprocity, being truly heard and seen by the people around us. So this is, is what brings healing. He goes on to say, for our physiology to calm down, heal, and grow, we need a visceral feeling of safety. And when God finds a poor slave who's pregnant through sexual exploitation, finds her there in the wilderness, he says, name your son, God hears you. And she looks at him and she says, have I just seen the God who sees me? Who cares about little old Hagar? No doctor, it goes on to say, can write a prescription for friendship and love. And sadly, he goes on to recommend that, well, sometimes animals could be brought. You could bring a dog, you could bring different animals in, and this will undoubtedly give that connection and love to children. But how much better to know God as, in Hebrew, El Roi, the God who sees. The God who sees me and what I'm going through. The God who sees that test that I'm facing. The God who sees the financial struggle that I'm going through. The God who sees my marriage being ripped apart at the seams. The God who sees my loneliness. The God who sees the deep hurt and pain in my life. The God who sees not just afar off, but who comes close. And like Isaiah 63 and verse 9 says, the one who is afflicted in all of our afflictions, the one who bears that himself that comes so close that he feels it in his very personage. You know, there's some amazing promises about God seeing. And what I want you to do is just to stand with me right now. And there's a power to just reading the promises of God together. So I want you just to stand with me as we read these incredible promises about God seeing you. Okay? So we hear that Hagar names him the God who sees. It says, have I also seen him who sees me? Now look at these promises. Psalm 33 verse 13. Read this with me. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. There's no qualification there how good you are. He sees everyone, all of the sons of men. Verse 14. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. God is looking on everybody. We have a message to tell to the world in Revelation 14, 6 that we've been looking at. And that message is to go to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people. God is looking out for every human being on this planet. Verse 15 continues. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. There's a God who's working on every single heart 
on this planet, from the Hagars to the Pharaohs to the Abrahams. And He's working in your heart and your life today, whether you feel it or not. Verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love. Psalm, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Second Chronicles 16, 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. You can go ahead and have a seat. But let that sink in. God is looking around this planet and He sees everybody, but He's especially looking for any heart that will be open to Him so that He can strongly support you this morning. The question is, will we look back to the face that's looking at us? Will we appreciate the appreciation that God has for us? Another version, the English Standard Version, says, talking about Hagar in Genesis 16, 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen Him who looks after me. The One who's watching out for me. The One who cares about the details of my life. I've seen the One who cares about my life. Can you imagine what that does to the heart of God to know that here is somebody who recognizes my loving watch care in their life? In fact, she sees it to such an extent that she names the well after who she recognizes God to be. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roi. That's basically the spring of the living one who sees. The one who sees me. And for future generations, as uh, Jacob lived near this well, and later on you have uh, Ishmael and his descendants living near this well. Can you imagine as they go to draw water from Bir Lahai Roi? And they're reminded that, that Hagar was seen by God. And that that same God sees me. I may feel all alone in this world, but God sees me. Right where I'm at. Right what I'm going through. And He hears and He cares about all the details of my life. When we see that, it does something to the heart of God. I can just tell you that that when I look and I see my girls there and they're smiling at me, that does something incredible to my heart. It bursts. It overflows. And I don't know what to do with myself anymore. Leah will tell you I can be, I can have a thousand tasks to do, but in that moment, all I want to do is go and kiss my little girls. Because I see that love. Can you imagine how God feels? When finally you look up and you say, oh, there's the God who sees me. He loves me. He cares about me. And when you allow that to begin to heal your heart. We've gone through a lot as a church just in the past couple weeks even. But I would wager that for many of you, it's not the, the most difficult experience you've gone through in your life. Maybe for some of you it is. But the most healing possible thing this morning is to know that there's a God who's looking down on you with love, who wants to draw really close, who wants to hold you up, who hears the cry of your heart. Psalm 34, 18 says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who have a crushed spirit. 
I love this from steps to Christ. I go back to this paragraph frequently and I encourage you that you might want to do the same. Go back to the whole book. It's an amazing book. If there's copies in the back, if you haven't read it for yourself, I can't recommend it highly enough to you. Outside of the Bible, this is probably one of my favorite books to read. Look at what it says. And God cares for everything and sustains everything that He has created. He who upholds the unnumbered worlds throughout immensity. Just just take that in for a second. The one that, that Isaiah 40, we talked about two weeks ago. He says, by the strength of my might, not one of all those trillions and trillions and trillions of stars is missing. That same God who upholds the unnumbered worlds through the throughout immensity at the same time cares for the wants of the little brown sparrow that sings its humble song without fear. His eye is on the fifth sparrow. And Jesus says, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be fearful. Don't worry about tomorrow because my Father, He cares for you much more than He cares for those little sparrows goes on to say, when men go forth to their daily toil, as when they engage in prayer, not just when you're here at church, not just when you're in your closet praying, when they lie down at night, when they rise in the morning, when the rich, when the rich man feasts in his palace, or when the poor man gathers his children about the scanty board, each is tenderly watched by the heavenly Father. No tears are shed that God does not notice. The psalmist says this. He says, all of your tears I've stored up in a bottle. I I catch every tear. I notice every tear that has fallen from your eyes. I'm watching and I care. And one day, I'll wipe every tear from your eyes. But not only that, there is no smile that He does not mark. When you smile at God, it does the exact same thing that when I see my daughter smiling at me. But not just that. When you're happy, God is delighted in your happiness. You aren't alone. Even if you can't find the fellowship that you want, God is with you. If we would but fully believe this, all undue anxieties would be dismissed. Our lives would not be so filled with disappointment as now. For everything, whether great or small, would be left in the hands of God who is not perplexed by the multiplicity of cares or overwhelmed by their weight. We should then enjoy a rest of soul to which many have long been strangers. We need this. Our society needs this. If you read, I was reading about different things that happen uh, when they're analyzing children and children are acting out, they say that usually the reason that children are acting out is they haven't gotten the right type of healthy love and attention in their lives. The reason that we see teenagers doing all the crazy things that they do, why is it that there are so many school shootings? Usually those kids are the outcasts, they're the ones that are bullied. They haven't been seen. And we have a message to tell to the world that there is a God who sees. And not just to do it lip service, but to actually be His hands and feet. To be the ones at the Hope Clinic, but not just the Hope Clinic on a daily basis who say, man, is there something I can do? You look like you're hurting. Is there some way that I can come close to you? Is there some way that I can be there for you? People are searching for identity. That's why you see 
a lot of the craziness in styles and fashion. That's why you see people going to extremes in every different direction. We're looking for identity when really our identity is that you are a loved child of God. He fully knows everything about your life. He knows the pain that you've suffered and he knows the sins that you've committed and the ones that you will make. And he says, I love you and I've given my life for you so that you can be eternally happy. And then he wants for us to take that good news to the world. He wants for us to be agents of that same exact type of love. So today, there are two things that I want to encourage you. Number one, recognize God as the God who sees, the God who hears, the God who is with you. Even though you may not feel it, though you may feel like you're in a wilderness, you're thirsty, you're alone, God sees you this morning. But number two, ask Him as you come to Him to make you His agent to care about the people around you. We have an amazing ministry that Pastor Cliffs does. That, that it's so simple. You can pull this a card out of the pew. In fact, if you want to do it right now, you can pull one of these cards out. They're called caring cards. There's something simple about somebody knowing that you care about them. Somebody knowing that there's something going on in their lives. Somebody that, that, that you can say, I see that you looked a little down and here's a verse of encouragement. There's something about caring about people when they're going through something. They need you. They need to know that God is real and sometimes God reveals himself through you. When Hagar gets back to Abram, Abram is given a son, it says in verse 15, so Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore, God hears, Ishmael. God really does hear. I wanted to to close with this song, uh, it's, it's uh, by Kathy Lee Gifford and Nicole C. Mullen. And I want you just to take a moment. You'll see this, the words hopefully will, will be there on the, the left side of the screen. But just to take a moment to, to imagine what Hagar was going through. This, this captures that time when she's there in the desert, both now and also later on with Ishmael. And I want you to think about what it's like to recognize as you finally see God that He's looking at you this morning with a smile on his face, with love in his eyes, longing to embrace you, to care for you, to bear your burdens for you. Let's pray. God, I know there are people here that are hurting. God, there are There are many of us who may not even recognize the hurt that's inside because we've ran from it for, we've run from it for so long. God, would you please open our eyes to see you as the God who sees, the God who cares about what we're going through, the God who will see us through, the God who has a plan for a hope and a future. Lord God, I ask for your healing power in hearts this morning. I ask that it would heal us to the place where we stop running from you and that we turn wholeheartedly towards you, that we're vulnerable with you, that we would take time with you every day just to sit in your presence and to bask in the knowledge of a God 
who loves us more than his own existence. Lord God, I ask that you would bear the burdens that people are bearing in here today. I ask that you would heal the heartache that some are feeling today. I ask that you would quench the anger that may be in other hearts. I ask that we would see you as the God who sees and we'd know you as the God who hears, the one who's afflicted in all of our afflictions. And that we wouldn't just know that for ourselves, but that we would be your agents to let the world know that you care, to let the world know that you see, to let the world know that you hear them. God, please fill us with your Holy Spirit. Change this world by loving it through us, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.